Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. We're all facing new challenges, and if you want someone to talk shop with that sat in your chair, I've got you. If you want to become a legendary leader for the team you lead, hit me up and hit me up soon. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined with one of our rare repeat guests. Joe Caprio is a great friend of the show and a sales leader that's turning lots of heads right now. He's led sales teams at iconic companies like Insight Squared and Chorus, and today he's a founder at Reprise. Reprise recently announced a Series A funding as they work to change how demos are conducted by salespeople around the world. Reprise helps sales teams bring products to life with an innovative approach to creating product experiences that are memorable. They're growing ridiculously fast. In fact, Joe just hit his one-year mark, and I can't wait for him to give us an update. And they're solving a problem that every SaaS sales organization deals with. Now, I know Joe on a personal level, and I appreciate him for being an outstanding sales leader and an even better human being. He's a terrific leader, a great guy, and I'm excited to welcome him back to the show. Joe, my friend, welcome to the show, and uh, welcome back, man. Rob, thank you so much. I was uh, I was looking forward to this for the last couple of days, like eyeballing it on my calendar. I really enjoy hanging out with you. I had a lot of fun on the first episode, and uh, I'm I'm just dying to get into this with you. Thank you for having me. Oh man, no, you were one of our our our, uh, our favorite guests as far as downloads are concerned. But more important, man, I'm excited to get into what you're doing now. Uh, what you we talked about before was really important. Uh, I think what we're talking about now is something that everybody's going to enjoy hearing about. So why don't we start by just getting into Reprise? What is it you're doing now and and what problems are you solving at Reprise? So, yeah, it's it's the classic founder story where, you know, we had this problem. And so my co-founders and I are all former Insight Squared. I've got uh, the head, the the initial uh, chief product officer, chief technical officer and myself, who was the head of sales and then one of our sales directors. And you know, we're building demo environments for our customers because more often than not at a SaaS company, you're using your production environment as a demo and you're, you're joining a Zoom call, right? And, and you're loading your real product and you're kind of navigating through your real product to show the prospect or customer how your tech works. And that actually creates a lot of problems behind the scenes. You have to ask yourself, uh, you know, first of all, if you're doing releases like most SaaS companies are, building new features and product, then your production environment's unstable. And so as your product goes down, that means your demo goes down. And you kind of ask yourself, like, is it okay to have bugs on our demo? And it's not, right? And then even beyond that, Right. Even if you have a state, I'm sure your listeners don't have products that go down all of our products, have a, <laughs> you know, if, if, 10 nines uptime. Sure. But even if your product's stable, you want to ask yourself, like, whose data are you showing on these calls? Are you showing your data? Are you logging into a customer's account and showing their data? Or are you doing like the Mickey Mouse demo where you, you know, totally. change? Right. You fill a spreadsheet full of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and pump that through a production environment. And then you march it out in front of your customers. So at least your data safe, but then does it tell a story? Mm-hmm. And so as you start to interview more and more companies about how they're demoing, which is what I've spent the last year of my life on is going out and kind of evaluating the market and understanding the needs of the market, you start to realize that this problem is pervasive in SaaS. We demo production environments, we expose customer data, or best case scenario, we have a generic sandbox full of vanilla data and our sales reps are really struggling to tell a story through their product demo. They're doing a lot of hand-waving. 
you know, you can imagine your account would look different. Your demo, your data would be different than this. So you can imagine. And it's like, we spend tens of millions of dollars building these products. Then we march our poor sales team out there with wooden swords, expecting them to be able to demonstrate the value of our tech, but they can't tell a story through the product. And so Reprise is here to to build the first demo creation platform and enable revenue leaders to get control over the story that they're telling. It's funny when I hear you say that, Joe, when you were talking about some of the things that people might say in a demo when they're demoing technology, like you can imagine it would look like with your data. That was me, man. I've been that guy in more than one environment. So I, I, I feel exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's a real problem. It's, it's, you know, it's, the, it's the creation of the data that is the problem for a demo. And so you need real-time data. You need up-to-date information. And so let's say you take your production environment, your actual data, and you anonymize it in a spreadsheet, and then you pump it through a new production environment. Your demo is great for that day. But the next day, everything resets. You have to redo your demo environment. And so now you have you know, engineering teams and, and sales engineers manufacturing data like on a nightly basis and doing gymnastics to fill their product with relevant data. I heard one story of this, the sales engineer, he works at a, at a medical scheduling software. And he said, you know, Joe, like all I have to do to make sure my demo pops is, you know, I send an invitation to these six different Gmail email addresses that I maintain. And I invite six different clones of myself to a meeting. And then I go in there and I reject some and I accept some. And as long as I do that every day, I log into six different email addresses and accept or reject the invite. When my sales team shows up the next day, they'll have a nice dashboard full of, full of meetings and they'll have good, good data for their demo. And I'm like, that's all you have to do. That's all you have to do is just manage six unique Gmail addresses as if that's your job. Right. And it's, you think about the gymnastics that some of us are doing to just put data into the machine so we can show the machine off. It's like, it was never meant to be this hard, but Mm. that's where we are in SaaS right now. No, you're, you're dead on and everything you're talking about, anybody who's in SaaS is right now nodding their heads. They're, they're walking their dog, they're on the treadmill, they're sitting in their home office, then they're nodding their head as I hear you talk, man. Yeah. So we'll get back to this because I want to talk about demos and how we create experiences that matter today. But uh, for our listeners that may not have heard you the first time or may be new to you, can you just give us like the high level, like a little bit about how you got involved in sales and what led you to, to being here now? Yeah, I'm like most I'm like most salespeople in that I didn't go to school for this. I didn't plan on this. I right. never grew up saying like I can't wait to grow up and be a salesperson. No, it's actually quite the opposite. Like in America, I think that we loop like lump salespeople in with politicians and lawyers and it's like as a society, sales is is one of the only professions where it's okay to lie to them because they'll probably lie to us. And and so I didn't grow up dreaming about a career in sales. In fact, people would say, "Joe, you'll probably go into sales when you grow up." And I'd be offended by it. You know what I mean? Because I had the same like, you know, predisposition, predisposition about sales. But what happened in college is I wasn't quite sharp enough to get my computer science major. And so I had to switch to a management major. And when I came out of school with a management degree, you know, I didn't want to go into retail. And those are the only jobs that are hiring fresh grads to be managers. And so I was at a career fair my senior year of college, about a month before graduation. And this guy spots me out of a crowd. And he's like, hey, do you play sports? We hire former athletes to be on our sales team. And like it was just that chance meeting where I didn't know what to do because they didn't offer it as, as, a, as a major. And I know a lot of schools are starting to do that now. Like Dr. Dover down at UTD is like leading the, the, the charge on this. And I think it's great. But 20 years ago when I was coming out of college, sales wasn't offered as a major. So like a lot of salespeople, I kind of just fell backwards into it. And luckily enough, it was a good fit for me naturally. I'm competitive. I'm aggressive. I work hard. I have high EQ. I like to learn about other people and relate to them. I'm naturally curious and I'm a hard worker. So sales ended up being a perfect career for me, but I just fell backwards into this, which, which I think happens to too many people. I think it's most of us. And I want to echo what you say about uh, universities like what Dr. Dover's doing at UTD. Those those students that are coming out of there, I've, I've had the chance to interact with a lot of them. They're coming out ready to rock and roll, man. Right. And, uh, and I'm stoked to see the university side of the world uh, treat our profession as a legitimate one because 
nothing happens in business till somebody sells something, man. Right. If I could go back in time, um, I'm telling you, I'd, I'd, I'd really look for a school that had a focus in, in sales. Um, but as a result, you know, I came out of school. I did entry level work. I did about a year as like a, a BDR, and this is 2004. And so I don't even think they were really calling a BDR, but like I was an entry level seller. Yeah. I did that for a year, and then I went and sold med device for a decade. Uh, I worked at a, a small med device manufacturing company in Boston, and I was like the regional road warrior driving all over New England, doing a bunch of in-person meetings. And when I turned 30, um, I'd been promoted multiple times at that company, but my money hadn't really changed. Mm. And, you know, there's not a lot yeah. of money in manufacturing in this country. And so I made a decision to go to go to SaaS, go to startups. I picked my first startup at 30, which was Insight Squared. And I made that that like transition. You don't really see a ton. Somebody going from an outside field, like manufacturing sales role into startups, where usually you see kids come out of college and they get a BDR job right out of college and they work in startups their whole career. I had a decade as, as a field rep. And then I learned about, you know, SMB, B2B, inside sales for, for a SaaS company. And so I had this like second act in my career over the last decade where I worked at Insight Squared for like seven years. Uh, I was a rep, then a manager, then enablement, then I, I ended up leading their entire sales team. And then I left for Chorus where I was there for, for two years where I, re- I led their sales team. And so for like the last decade of my life, I've sold B2B revenue SaaS I sell to CRO, I sell to CMO, I sell to RevOps, and I do it at like mostly venture-backed SaaS companies. And so I've spent a decade building up like a really strong network and community of guys like you, Rob, who, you know, you work at other SaaS companies and we get to know each other. And I've had like a really, really fortunate second half of my career. Well, I'm glad you shared it because I mean, your 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 uh, story is one that I think is an impressive one, and I want everybody who's going to listen to us talk now to see where you're coming from because what we're about to talk about isn't something that you you've got theories about. We're going to talk about stuff that you have lived, breathed. It's what you write about. It's what you talk about. It's what you you know everything you've done has been bringing you to this moment where you're ready to help create better experiences. Uh, using a product with a customer. So, so let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about the demo. You know, I, I think the demo is an interesting tipping point. And I mean it when I say tipping point, because it very easily can push you forward and it very easily can screw things up. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, your thoughts, I mean, can you talk a little bit about the demo as a, like as a stage in the sales process and, you know, let's just start that conversation around that. And I want to start talking about, you know, how we make that, something that tips forward instead of derailing something. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So you're right. I mean, I've, I've spent the last decade working with revenue leaders and B2B SaaS companies. And so, you know, a year ago when we decided to launch Reprise, the first thing I did was I kind of went down my list of first degree connections and I went out to all the CROs that I know and the heads of RevOps that I know and the chief marketing officers that I know. And he said, you know, we're going to build a product that would solve your demo problem. Let's talk about it. You know, can you give me some feedback? And so I've gone through, I've done over a thousand like product market fit, you know, market awareness interviews to learn what other SaaS companies are, are struggling with, with their product demo. It, it really just kind of reinforced what I had had for problems myself. And it's mm. like using a production environment means that sometimes the product goes down and it's really hard as a salesperson to demonstrate mastery, you know, if your product is breaking on the demo and, you know, Getting data to be able to tell a compelling story is a huge problem. And as a result, what a lot of SaaS companies are doing is they're kind of just live improv, you know, load the product up and then look at the data seemingly for the first time and come up with a storyline right then and there. And it's creating huge friction in your sales motion. Like your sellers are afraid to give a demo. You know, they're withholding the demo and and we're training them, you know, do more discovery up front, do more discovery up front, because the way it used to work is we would trade the software demo in exchange for for um, discovery. So you go to my website and it's like, click here to get a demo. But when you click here to get a demo, it actually is a form submission to meet with the sales team. And so we're saying you could have a demo if you meet with our sales team. And then you get on the phone with the sales team and the sales rep says, hey, it's not actually a demo. It's a discovery call. The demo is next week. And so this is legacy behavior that we've been training our sales team. You want to do discovery before the demo. 
But the reality is the market has kind of shifted a little bit and the demo comes first for a customer. You know what I mean? You think of product-led growth, you think of, you know, freemium models, and you think of how most technology is purchased. It's on an iPhone. It's not B2B SaaS. It's B2C SaaS is the most like the thing that we buy. And so as, as a society, we're being trained to demo ourselves, install the application on our iPhone, play with it, and then, you know, ask for help if we need help. But you look at how B2B SaaS works, it's still the old way, which is come talk to me, give me a discovery call, and then maybe I'll give you the demo. And that's a big, big, like, like driving force of a lot of friction for our sales team is we're not fast enough to adapt to the way buyers are buying right now. So I'm really interested in talking a little bit more about this. This idea of we in the past have traded discovery for demo, you are dead on. In fact, um, I mean, there have been lots and lots of really strong companies that have said, we never show our product until we know these things. And I think at the time, that probably was the right thing to do. Um, today, though, I like what you're saying is that our buyers have evolved. And can you talk a little bit about what's driven that evolution? Because I think that you've got a lot of people that are probably still trading discovery for demos. Um, Discovery, I think was like a singular event. I'm hearing you talk and it's making me think that discovery is an ongoing thing. Is, Is, am I hearing that right? We're on the same page. I think that it used to be you could visualize your sales motion, you know, left to right in stages, yeah. right? And there's exit criteria to get to the next stage where you fold a piece of paper in half and you write on one side the buyer wants and you write on the other side so the seller should get. And it's right. like, you want my demo, give me discovery first. You want a trial, give me access to power first. You want my pricing model, let me know how you buy software. You want a discount, give me access to your CFO. And it, it's, it's a series of gates that we've invented. And it's like, it's not give to get, right? It's get what you need and then give the customer what they want. And for a long time, we got away with that. In fact, our win rate went up. If we did discovery before the demo, we were able to tailor our pitch, right? We were able to uncover problems. So later, if they were like, I'm not interested, we could say, but wait, what about those problems you shared? And so we trained an entire army, our entire army of salespeople to gate what the customer wants. And we got away with it because there were no alternatives, but things have changed. And, and, and like the rise of the iPhone is one of the driving factors. So I was home for Christmas last year and, you know, my mom's getting a little bit older. And, and so, you know, her car, her car died. And instead of getting her a new car, we said, let's, let's not have you drive anymore. You live with my older brother. You're a block away from my little brother. Like you're surrounded by people who love you. We'll take care of you. You don't have to drive anymore. And she's like, well, what if I need to go somewhere? And one of your brothers isn't around. So you know what I did? I took her iPhone. I installed Uber right then and there. And I showed it to her and I said, look at these cars. And she's like, wait, that one's right around the corner. Are those cars in my neighborhood, right? She sees it and she's like, wait, so if I just click on it, I don't have to call the cab company. I don't have to, I don't have to pay them. It'll just automatically come from my account. She experiences the product and then she decides if she wants to be a customer. Okay. Fast forward to, to later that night, we're talking about our next family vacation. And I go, you, you won't believe this one, ma. And I put Airbnb on her phone. And I start showing her the listings, right? When COVID's over, we all get vaccinated. We're going to go, we're going to get back together. We're going to rent this house together. And she's like, but wait, is this actually somebody's house? And she goes, you know what, Joe? I'm more comfortable in a hotel than in some stranger's home. So I'm not going to use Airbnb. I'm going to delete this app. And you think about it, Uber and Airbnb, two experiences where my mom, who would normally be a laggard in terms of adopting new technology, my mom is experiencing the product and then interacting and deciding to be a customer or not. Okay, not doing discovery about what her vacation needs are and then getting to see Airbnb. It's opposite. And that's the case with 90% of the products we buy because we buy them all on our iPhone. Now, that's true of my mom, right? And she's a laggard. What do yeah. you think is going on with the 30-year-olds that we're actually trying to sell to right now? They grew up on iPhones. They grew up on YouTube. They could get your product description somewhere else, yet your CTA on your website says get a demo. Yep. So that's the only way I can do it. I now I MQL, and now I'm on a call with a sales rep a week later. I'm already annoyed because I expected to use your product so far. I'm already annoyed because it's a week later. I get on that call with your salesperson and your salesperson's like, oh no, this isn't a demo. This is a discovery call. The demo's next week if you're qualified. 
It's so offensive. It's so offensive. You think about this. Like, like I don't, I don't want that as a buyer. You're forcing it upon me. And when I push back, look, can't you just give me the demo? I'm here now. Can't you just show it to me? What do we train our sellers to say? Our product's really complicated. You wouldn't understand our demo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so that's the problem is I'm stupid? Okay, but how about this, mm. right? Our process is that we do discovery on the first call and demo on the second call. So either as a buyer, I'm too stupid to understand your demo, or as a seller, you're too stubborn to shift your process a little bit and give me what I need, which is just a little bit of product information, and then I'll give you the info you want. And then a week later, we have our second call, and it's a little bit of demo and a little bit of discovery. And every interaction you have now is a little bit of show and tell and a little bit of Q&A, and it's a mutual fact-finding interaction the whole way through your sales motion. And this idea of discovery, demo, trial, deal in a very linear motion, this is over. It's not the way buyers behave anymore. And if you're a salesperson or a sales leader thinking that's the way the world works, like, you're being stubborn and dated, and I can guarantee you your sales reps are the ones that are suffering when they have to march this bad news out to their prospects. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm burning up my notepad right now, dude. I'm <laughs> telling you, I'm taking notes <laughs> like crazy. So I, this little thing you shared that started with your mom and just finished with what you just said, I got like so many things that I want to dive into for our audience, and I really wish this was a live conversation so I could have chat going so we could go where they want to go um, because you've got me thinking about the experience. And so this really comes down to what kind of experience do you want your product to create for someone that makes them say, you got to be kidding me. These cars are right here. I can do this. I can do this rather than I'm uncomfortable. And um, so let me let me try and sort through my questions here because I want to start with, um, what happened to something that you said earlier? You said earlier your win rates went up when you tailored a demo to meet their needs. Now, if we have something that's kind of easy to see, my question is, is this something that's like a choose your own adventure? Like you start the same for everyone and then you create kind of go left or go right uh, moments and then they kind of choose where it goes. How do you do that? That stay away from like a canned demonstration. Yeah. So here's my, I'll, I'll answer by sharing my biggest frustration when dealing okay. with salespeople, right? I go on your website and I, I, I challenge the audience, go on your own website. Everyone go to their own website right now and, and see if I'm lying to you. There's a pick list on your website. And it segments the market for you. It's either role or vertical or use case segment. You have some segmentation on your website. And so if I hit that button and I pick my segment that I would fit into, I'm brought to a custom landing page on your website. And it's your product for me. This is how role in vertical uses your product. There are case studies that are meant to look exactly like me. There's custom value language meant to speak directly to me. And that's off one segmentation on your website. So if your website knows who your verticals are, who your segments are, and how they engage with your product, how come your sales rep doesn't know that? It's, mm. it's a lie. We have been trained that doing discovery first increases our win rate. And so we lie to our customers and say, I need discovery to be able to effectively demo. But that's not what I want. I don't actually want a full deep dive demo on the first interaction. I want the Harbor Tour. I just want to understand, hey, a guy like, like me, it. a guy like me at a, at a company like this, what are the top three ways I'd use your product? And so if you start a first call with me and you give me a choice, hey, Joe, do you want to have a conversation about your needs or do you want to get the overview first and then have the conversation? Customers really appreciate that optionality. Some will say, I don't want your pitch. I want you to hear my project and tell yeah. me if you can help me. Most will say, yeah, give me the overview so I'm caught up. At that point, it's, it's five to seven minutes. And it's the, it's the top three things you might do for that person based on the existing segmentation your company already uses, right? So you're just, instead of slideware and instead of just rambling, you're loading your product and you're like, yo, this is the first way a guy like you would use us. Here's the second thing you might want to be aware of. And here's the third thing that people come to me for. Which of those is most relevant to you? Turn your screen off. And have a 20-minute conversation where the prospect isn't annoyed they're doing discovery. The prospect is doing discovery based on what you just shared, 
right? And you're having a legitimate conversation about how they might use your product instead of asking stupid questions like, how do you normally buy software? Who else needs to be involved? Have you budgeted for this? When the reality is most of us would call ourselves disruptive tech, right? Creating projects, evangelizing the need for our product. Yet we get on the phone and we bant people. Come on. Right. You're going outbound to book meetings and you're asking them what the budget is for the project. And it's like, dude, I'm doing this call as a favor to you. You know what I mean? Tell me what you do for me. Don't ask me to like confess my love for your product before you even give me the demo. Like, come on. (laughs) That's I I really like that. And so um, it's it's this iterative approach. So I liked how you say, you know, here's the top three things that people you know, like you generally see, so you can have like that top three thing that they can see in like 10 minutes or less. You know, I've always felt like people should have like a 15 minute version of their demo, a 30 minute version of their demo and an hour version of their demo or something like that. I agree. Depending on what their needs are and what you're doing is you're adding structure to it. So what I like is, is the, the rep is helping them buy, you know, Nobody wants to be sold to. Everybody's heard this one. I didn't invent this. Nobody wants to be sold to, but people want to buy the way they want to buy. I, I think that's a Neil Rackham is who said that first, I think is where that came from. Um, and what you're suggesting is, you know, in the you know, advent of predictable revenue and the specialized sales model, we got so focused on our process. We forgot about that. People help people buy. Don't make sure you sell help people yep. buy. Cause either way, if, if, if they buy that something got sold. So, and so you're creating a different kind of an experience. So um, what about, do you need to have a self, like a self guided tour or are, are you, is, is it still, is that still not as important? Cause I'm saying, do we want to ace out salespeople, salespeople, do they still act as a tour guide or are you giving them uh, their own self guided deal? Yeah. So I, I think, I think in some situations we are seeing companies successfully like, you know, be totally customer led, not sales led at all and, and let customers do self evaluation, self deployment, self onboardings. You know what I mean? And, and we're not having the sales team lead the charge. And you're seeing this at, at, at successful companies, right? It's not, it's not a toy. A lot of people hear product led growth and they think it's just for like, cheap products, easy products, you know, like, like you sell it one rep at a time, it's 15 bucks a month, you could turn it on, cool, you're product led. But for us in the enterprise, that would never work. But then you see companies like Slack and Snowflake start eating their competitors lunches by removing friction in the buyer's journey. And so in some cases, in some verticals, I do think we're going to be entirely customer led, not sales led. And that's going to drive a change in behavior for sales reps. We're going to have to be more like support agents and, you know, uncover additional needs and and troubleshoot accounts and behave almost like a sales engineer or a customer success rep versus a traditional AE. And what's crazy is this has been the model at salesforce.com for decades. Their AEs are account managers and they have a book of business and their job is to grow those accounts. And so I think some companies will go full product led. And other companies will not. They'll, they'll, they'll still have to maintain some tour guide from the very beginning. And so I always think about this. We've always agreed it's the buyer's journey, not the seller's journey. This isn't right. new. Like we've always said buyer's journey, buyer's journey, buyer's journey. But what we have actually done is we've mapped the buyer's journey. And then we've said before we let the buyer do that, what should we get first? And as soon as you start using that logic, it's no longer the buyer's journey. It's now the seller's journey promising the buyer their journey. So you could have a demo once you give me discovery. You could have a trial once you give me success criteria. You could have a quote once I meet your boss. You could have a discount once I get my red lines back. That's not actually the buyer's journey anymore. It's the seller's journey, but you're promising the thing that the buyer wants. All right. So to answer your question, like, should we go full product-led and put the tour on the website? I have customers that are putting a self-guided tour on the website and they're letting their prospects experience the product without a salesperson. And then at the end of the tour, they're offering two CTAs. One is talk to sales and one is start your free trial. And they're literally letting the buyer pick their journey. And the buyers that click start my trial, that goes to a support queue who watches to see if those trials get built out or not. And if Mm -hmm. the trial doesn't get built out, They reach out and they say, hey, I see you didn't finish your trial. Can I help you get it back on the rails? Well, the customers that don't pick start a trial, they pick talk to sales. 
that goes to a sales team and the sales team reaches out and says, I saw that you took the self-guided tour, but still wanted some help from me. Let's have a conversation about what you need to be successful. And in either scenario, my customers who put the tour on their website, their prospects are converting into what would normally be stage three, right? They've seen the product, they've taken their own demo, and now they're either building their own trial or asking sales for help. It's so much different than putting on your website, get demo, but then when I click that button, it's really just a discovery call, and I show up four days later kind of annoyed that I still don't know what you do, and in the call where I'm supposed to find out what you do, your sales rep just wants to ask me banned. Yeah. And so I do think there's real merit to putting the tour on the website, but if you feel like your customer really needs the sales touch first, that's great. You don't have to put it on your website. Just build out smarter, tailored demos with us. So if you want, I want to, I want to, I'm going to go to what you said. I'm going to come back to the other thing I had later because you, you brought up a term that is a hot term. And I think we've never talked about it on the show. And my show is for sales leaders that want to lead high growth teams. And so we haven't talked about this ever. So I want to talk about it right now since you brought it up a couple of times. Will you talk about product led growth and what you think that means? Because yes, sir. it means some different things to different people. It sure and, does. And you're, you're building a very successful company around the concept. I think we should talk about it and then maybe some ways that some of our listeners can try and implement some of those things in their companies. Okay. So here's my take on product led growth. I'm a sales led company. You go on my website right now, the CTA leads you to a meeting with me. I'm sales-led. I'm traditional sales-led. The first thing you do after doing your, your, your self-led research is you get on the phone with one of my agents. You talk to us, and then we put you on the right path. That, by definition, is not product-led. It's sales-led. Okay? So I'm not an advocate. You have to be product-led. Fire your sales team. Build your product to be freemium. Like, I'm not saying that to everybody. But this is a really interesting moment for, for our profession. This reminds me of account-based marketing five years ago. Okay. Account-based marketing became all the rage. Everybody's talking account-based and some legacy sales leaders stood up and said, you know what? Account-based is marketing finally figuring out what sales knew all along. We don't sell the lead. We sell the account and it's about time marketing caught up. And that, that talk track made it so sales leaders and sales reps ignored the, the account-based movement. And the reality is account-based, the shift from lead-based to account-based were 50 decisions that your company suddenly started to do a little bit differently. And it's 50 things that you need to just tweak and, and change a little bit. Well, product-led is the same thing. A lot of sales leaders hear product-led and they think Slack. They think Calendly, Chili Piper. They think like that's for one person to pick up, start using, and then grow organically. It's for easy applications. We're too technical. It's for cheap applications. We're too expensive. We're too complicated. We could never be full freemium product-led. And so therefore, I'm going to ignore product-led. Mm. And it's the same problem as account-based. Being product-led are a series of 50 different things that you would do differently now, okay? It's not just being a a free product. There's a million ways that you would be product-led instead of sales-led. And I think a lot of sales professionals right now are intentionally ignoring the product-led movement because they don't want to be outsourced. They're afraid the robots are going to replace us. And so they're fighting against product-led instead of understanding a movement that's happening in their customer base that should spit out a couple of changes in the way they behave. So I'm a sales-led organization behaving product-led because it's what my customers want. So this is, as I listen to you talk, Joe, again, you're, you're, you're way more expert at this than me. So if you'll forgive me if I sound like I'm asking softball questions because I don't intend to. It sounds to me like if, if that's where this is, if we're in the middle of a movement like that, this is probably a party you don't want to be late to because maybe cycle times are going to change. By the time they talk to you, if it really is product-led, uh, I'm way, way – like when Challenger came out and said 70% is already done or 68%, whatever that number was. It was so long ago. And growing. And growing. Now with product-led, maybe they're like at 85% now. Maybe we're closer to the finish line and people are going to be a lot less patient because before when they were knowing, well, I'm going to have to do a discovery and then I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do this and then someday I'll see a, prod, a demo. And then you know, the, the other thing is, I mean, how many demos did you used to have to do? Mm-hmm. You tried to do just one demo. One of the customers that I have in my business, 
they still are holding on to. We do one demo. It's a big, <laughs> big company that you would know well. Yep. Okay? You would know them well. And w- when I'm working with the sales leader, she said, we do one demo. That's one of our rules is we do one demo. We make sure we get everybody to the party. We may have to do a, de- a discovery with any every one of these people before we get there. And then we'll do it once. And if they miss it, we say, we'll record it on whatever our recording thing is and we'll send it to you. Yeah, and, and so this seems like uh, if this is a shift that's happening that might be fueled from the B2C experience, like you said, I'm, I can do all these other things here. Why can't I do this here? Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably a party you don't want to be late to. But on the flip side, if you're a younger company, it's a real opportunity for you to be way more competitive, way faster. Yeah, I think it's about it's about upstreaming your competition is what it is. To your point, like I'm, I'm MQLing on your website. Waiting an average is, is three and a half business days, just so you know, in SaaS, the average wow. between MQL and taking it. Think about it. I book a demo on your website. It loads a calendar app or it goes to a BDR who then emails me. We exchange emails. We book the meeting sometime later. So it's the better part of a week between when I want your demo and when I get your demo. Okay. And, and, and the reality is let's say you do discovery. That adds another week because we do the discovery call and then we play email tag scheduling the demo. Okay. Now you come into a demo. It's been two weeks since I was on your website. So You're I like, get the what demo. What was I looking for again? I can't right. remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about it. So I do the demo now, and then the next step is trial kickoff. So now you're you're three weeks after the website visit when I try your product. But you know what? Your competitor had a had a free trial right on the site. I've been in their product for three weeks by the time I get into yours on day one. So the whole vision of product led is about upstreaming your competition. It's about upstreaming them. You're getting into their organization before, before, before your competitor does. And it gets worse, right? I'm trying to work a big deal at your company. I got to get approved to be a vendor. But my competitor who's product-led has been approved as a free app. They're already in your stack. Now they're talking paid expansion. Expansion's a hell of a lot easier to get approved than a new deal. And yep. so it's about upstreaming your competition in terms of getting into their stack, getting in as an approved vendor, and getting mindshare. So when you go out there and you're like, what do you guys like? You like Reprise or this other thing that we've been using? You're asking just people who saw a demo of Reprise, but you're asking users of the, of the product-led. You're asking users how yeah, they Yeah, not evaluators, them. users. Right. That's- right. And so what you're really seeing right now is, is companies are getting hip to this. And you're right, younger, greener software companies are building to be product-led. In fact, the VCs are driving this. The venture capitalists are driving this. They're seeing this technology or they're seeing this movement where buyers want to be self-led. They're realizing that it's a shorter sales cycle. They're also realizing it's less, it's less capital intent. Like you don't need as many humans if you're letting the buyer carry some of the weight. So now VCs are pouring money in to companies that are product-led which is fueling this flywheel even faster. So more and more companies are now being born as product-led companies, which is further enabling your prospects to be like, well, if Slack and Snowflake and Sal- even Salesforce and HubSpot are product-led now. They have free trials on their website. And so it's really creating this market dynamic where the buyer is like, F you, show me your stupid product because everyone else has figured this out. You're the last one still holding on and saying 60 minutes of, of discovery when everyone else in the market is letting me touch their product. And so it's absolutely a movement that we as sales leaders have to react to, whether that's totally retrofitting our product to to, to be an easy onboarding or not, we have to behave differently because the buyers are getting different expectations set for them. How important are free trials now? Ah, Jesus. It's like, you know, if you're a product-led company, it's the entire definition of, of the top of your funnel. If you're a sales-led company, you know your customer is asking for it right away. I think whether you're doing a free trial or a proof of concept or, or, or like custom demos, whatever you're doing, I think that your buyer has a milestone in their mind of them seeing your product and then, and then connecting the dots of how they would use that, whether their data or you give them access to a sandbox. I think it's a milestone in the buyer's journey, which mm-hmm. to our entire conversation today is, is what really matters. Your buyer isn't comfortable buying your product until they've seen it in action themselves. So I think it's critical. You made one other statement. We're, we're down to like our last five minutes. And so I, I'm pissed. Time we'll do another so one. Fast, bro, it's so good to have you back. Yeah. I love this. Like I got three pages of notes here of things I want to ask you now. So let me ask you this. You'd said, and I think I'm going to probably title our episode this. It's you know, that we got to remove friction from the buyer's journey. 
Yeah. So if we have like five minutes left and I'm not going to ask you the same three questions of biggest problem, interview question and book. If you want Joe's answers, go find where he was in the first episode and he answered those questions there. Okay. And they were good. And you know, so go and go look in there. Joe, what advice would you give on combining all the stuff we've talked about, removing friction from the buyer's journey, creating experiences that are catalysts rather than derailers, um, having people not like try to envision themselves using it inside their company, but actually seeing it in their, cause those are two different things, right? Mm-hmm. Is there like any, like two or three things you'd say, listen, if you want to start eliminating friction in the buyer's journey, these are some of the experiences you should try to create. Is there, yes. is there like a kind of a punch list of those things you can give our listeners? I've been very thorough in my research, Rob. And I, I could tell you right now, I've been benchmarking companies from their seed to, to their IPO and how they're handling their demo environment. And, you know, when you get to a big company like salesforce.com is the best at this. They have a team. It's called Q branch. It's 100 sales engineers. And what those 100 sales engineers do is they service the, the sales and, and marketing and customer success teams with the demo environments they need. So if I'm a rep at Salesforce and I'm pitching a deal that has Salesforce plus Pardot plus whatever, Steelbrick, right? I go to QBranch and I'm like, give me a demo. They build an environment that has those two products integrated. They fill it with data. They give me relevant case studies. And they're like, here you go. Here's all the collateral you need to go effectively tell that story. That's great for companies like Salesforce that have 100-person demo engineering teams. Which nobody else has. Right, exactly. So I've had over 1,000 calls, and I've found less than 20 companies worldwide that have a proper functioning demo engineering team. This is the change that's going to happen normal SaaS companies like yours and mine, like us, us, like the masses, we're going to start to create our demo engineering team. And we're not going to send our sales reps out there with a production environment saying, figure it out, do improv, live invent a storyline. No, we're going to, we're going to commission a task force to create the views that we need. And then our sellers are going to go in there with the proper tools for, for the meeting. And so demo engineering is going to be a term that you're going to hear again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like the Salesforce admin from a decade ago who is now the global worldwide VP of RevOps and they have a seat at the board meeting, that role grew from an admin to a strategic role. We're going we're gonna to build demo engineering teams where we're going to take one sales engineer and we're going to elevate that person to be responsible for creating a library of show and tell assets that we're going to go out there and have the views to resonate with our customers. That's going to be the change. Stop demo and production environments and elect a demo engineer to own this problem for you. Love it. Anything that you would advise our listeners, listen, whatever you do, don't do this. Stop doing this as soon as you can, given the world that where it's going right now. Yeah. I mean, stop asking your engineering team for demos. I mean, they don't write your blog. They don't host your webinar. Why are they responsible for building your demo? They don't want to do it. They want to stick to the roadmap. So find a way to get control over your demo and stop making it your engineering team's problem. They already built the product. They don't want to build the demo on top. Mm. Love it, man. We, we're, we're, we're there. We're, we're out of time, man. Any, any final thoughts you'd share as you, as you take this concept of building experiences that, that people like thank you for rather than deal with any final thoughts to wrap up what's been a killer conversation. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I, I have no other thoughts. We're, we're working really, really hard to, to launch this company and, and bring this category to life. We incorporated in April of last year. We did a really modest $3 million seed round, and we thought that would last all the way through, through the end of this year, you know, 18, 24 months. And then something really magical happened. Like people started leaning in and buying the product and using it, and our customers have been really vocal about us. And so in December of last year, just five months after our, our seed, Ajay from Bain came inbound and preempted us with a big, a big series A. And so our job now is to race to market and, and really bring this category to life. And so come to my website, getreprise.com, find me on LinkedIn. Like we're yeah, doing- I was going to say, how do they, yeah. how do they get with you? How does, how do our listeners connect, continue the conversation, learn more, all of it? How do, how do they do that? Go to my website, getreprise.com. Find me on LinkedIn. It's Joe Caprio. Like you probably already connected to me and, and just send me a DM. I'll get you, I'll get you on the phone with one of my reps and we'll put you into the product. We'll show you how to build demos. We're running this promo, Rob. Like we're building the first demo for our customers for free. So again, I'm sales led, 
but this is an example of me being product led. I'm not saying do a, do a discovery call, then a demo, then buy my product and you can use it. I'm saying, come and talk to me, map out what you're trying to accomplish and I'll build that thing. I'll do it for you. And even if you don't buy my product, I'll let you keep the demo that we make. That's a salesperson behaving product led. Come get your first demo for free. Wow. Go get that. Go get that uh, first demo. Listen, Joe Caprio, great friend of the show, great friend of mine. uh, One of the great sales leaders I've met in my career. He's removing friction in the buyer's journey around the world right now. Uh, Got something that I think everybody ought to at least go take a look at. Joe, thank you so much for joining me again. And like I said, everyone, my man, happy selling. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. Sales leadership is more important now than it has ever been. Joe just gave us a killer example on just one of the ways sales is changing and why leaders need to help their teams evolve. Every leader is having to reinvent a lot of things right now in order to come out stronger as a result of the new changes they face. I don't care if you're a brand new sales leader or the most senior seasoned sales leader or something in between. It all has to be rethought. How we solve problems, how we build performance, how we connect with the people we lead. And the Jepson Performance Group is here to help. We help individual sales leaders or teams of sales leaders in the three places they directly interact with their sales teams. Helping win deals, individual one-on-one development and coaching, and having sales meetings people would buy a ticket to attend. Great leaders provide step-by-step instructions, provide elite levels of support, and provide both mindset and skill set coaching. And if you want to have a conversation with anybody about any of those three things, hit me up. Because if you want to do it yourself, you can check out my Patreon community, Sales Leadership United, where I share what I'm seeing and helping people solve each week. But if you want someone in your corner, we at the Jepson Performance Group can help you get where you want to go faster than you ever thought possible. The greatest leaders know that time is their most precious resource. So save time. Give us a call. We can help you find your way because we got you. Now, I can't tell you how excited I was for this conversation with Joe Caprio over Reprise. Listen, it's no secret I've been a fan of Joe and his career for a while now. And I've watched with real interest as he's helped launch this new company. And the success, man, it's come pretty fast. And it's exciting to watch him help build such a great solution for SaaS leaders everywhere. The big takeaway for me on this conversation, though, is really simple. It's the importance of making it easy for a customer to buy from you. And I'm not talking about the simple things like just taking credit cards or processing a payment. I'm I'm talking about pouring gas on the client's buy process. Joe shared that the B2B buying world is really becoming more like a B2C buying world. And I think that's a really interesting lens to look through. Think about what that means for a minute. Every one of us has walked through a department store. And I can't walk through the shoe section of the department store without someone coming up to me and asking if they can help me. And you already know what my response is 99.99999% of the time. I say, no thanks, just looking. And if I had to answer a series of questions before I could try on a pair of shoes, I'd never buy from a store ever again. And, and I just want sometimes to figure out what I want and then ask when I'm ready. But we've always treated B2B differently. I'm not diminishing the importance of the discovery. I still think it's where sales are won and lost. But I think Joe is right. In the world of a more educated, more empowered customer, The customer is looking to see the product sooner. And we are so worried about our sales process that we frustrate the buyer in their buying process. Instead of forcing them to buy the way we want to sell, we've got to make sure that we're helping them buy the way they want to buy. So Joe really made me think a lot in this conversation. I've gone back and listened to it a couple times and and I'm, I'm really glad that we had this conversation because our conversations with prospects and customers They have to meet the customer where they are, wherever they are. Discovery should be happening all the way through the process, not just one time where we say, okay, this is where we'll ask questions and then away we go. The best sales teams have always had short, medium, and long versions of their demo, depending on the situation. But as a sales leader, just make sure that you don't have a lot of gates someone has to pass in order to learn about and ultimately see your product. Make it easy to buy. Make it easy for them to know exactly how you can help them. 
the easier you make it for them to learn at their own pace, the more successful you and your organization will be. Now, this is a big change, but it's a change that's happening. It's happening at different speeds in different industries, but I'm pretty sure this is a party you don't want to be late to. And this is a change that you can make pretty fast. You, you know, Joe said it really clearly. You don't have to wait for marketing to put all these kind of different tours on your website. You know, we can just acknowledge that discovery has changed and we should start by creating alignment with the buyer sooner rather than having a rigid process. Start by identifying what the customer is expecting and connect to that because the sooner you align with them, the sooner you'll start building trust. Don't ever forget the three words that are most often associated with trust, honest, reliable, and helpful. When you become aligned and you start helping them buy the way they want to buy rather than selling the way you want to sell, you create opportunities to show honesty, reliability, and helpfulness. Joe shared several organizations that are having massive success and shortening the buy cycle by meeting the customers wherever they are rather than taking them through an antiquated sales process. And the sooner they start seeing you as someone that can help them, as soon as they start seeing you do the things you said you would do, the sooner they will start to trust you. And trust is the currency of all relationship management. I believe that today we're in a world where the big doesn't necessarily beat the small. I think we're in a world where the fast beats the slow. And what I'm seeing right now is that companies that make it easier to make decisions, they're the ones that are winning. So you should ask yourself as you finish this episode, how can you streamline your process? How can you make modifications to the way you help guide your customers to envision themselves winning with what it is you offer? As a leader, sit down with your team and prioritize this now. Would your customers say that you're easy to work with and learn from? Or would they say that you're rigid? Talk to your customers, ask them. Talk to your reps, ask them. Between those two groups, you're going to find out. And then take the time to make how you sell always be more important than what it is you sell. And today, more than ever before, that means to make it easy to learn, easy to see, and easy to buy. So here's to always working hard to make it easy to buy from you. Here's to creating experiences that a customer would thank you for. Because we live in a competitive place with lots of alternatives. And those that help the customer buy easier, faster, and with less friction will grow at the expense of those that don't. So take Joe's advice. Don't be antiquated or stubborn. This is a party you want to show up early to. So Joe, thanks for joining us a second time, my friend. And I really appreciate you diving into such an important topic that we haven't ever discussed before. Be sure to connect with Joe and follow what he's doing with the team at Reprise. I'm grateful Joe would join us to share with what he's seeing work right now with so many companies around the world and help each of us become more aligned with what customers are looking for today. But mostly, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you like what you heard today, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star review. This helps more people find us and makes it easier for me to keep bringing you fantastic guests. I'm grateful to each one of you and wish you an outstanding week and wish you only the best with the teams that you lead. So, here's to treating, here's to removing friction from the buy process. Lead with strength, live with passion, and as always, don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.